And I'm not a really good American because I like to form my own opinions. Huh? What? There's tons of examples of corporate greed, inequality, and disregard for the environment that make people wonder if markets are evil. And they are. Maybe Lisa's right about America being a land of opportunity, and maybe it yields has a point about the machinery of capitalism being oiled with the blood of the workers. Where it's like, hey, wake up, liberals. You can't always do, uh, sometimes you gotta, uh, you know, uh, but that's a, that's that's actual quote from Karl Marx. In recognizing a communist, physical appearance counts for nothing. If he openly declares himself to be a communist, we take his word for it. Um, if I were to ever start a country with a communist government, wink, wink, wait 12 years. Men are seduced by communists, women so much so that they deem communism nice. Communists murdered mostly the Nazis. Bottom-up horizontal connection, sharing at all levels is key. Describing this anarchy. Are you an anarchist? I mean, am I a member? An anarchist group, yes. Anarchists have a group? I believe so, sure. What kind of garbage is that? Oops, my anarchy symbol. Howdy, howdy. This is the Three Left Show. Uh, we're trying something new, which we did not test. Um, this program covers news, issues, and anything of interest from a radical and revolutionary left perspective for the curious or the committed, promoting a post-capitalist present and future via direct democracy and a commons economy, discussing the means and ends of a multi-tendency left that is of itself and for itself, the meaning point of socialism, anarchism, and ecology, we wave the flags of three lefts. Also, a reminder, posting is not politics. It's barely even protesting. But, uh, yeah, I'm starting to believe in social media less uh, day by day. Uh, actually, as whenever I post something controversial, I get lots of engagement from my so-called community. And then when I post my show episodes, it's like I can share, I can invite everybody. It still doesn't get a lot of engagement. I'm like, where are all the people I know? Are they... Do you even know the show exists? Sometimes they don't. I have to. Uh, so, guys, are you are you in there? Um, I'm in here. Is the board able to hear me? We. Uh, yes, it is now. Yes, it is now. Yay! Okay. So. Um, and Good Samaritan, uh, what's um? Should I, what should I call you? Yeah, the Good Samaritan's fine. Okay. Uh, we have a third. We have a guest. Uh, so, this is my first time meeting you, actually. So uh, I suppose I should put on my journalist hat and say, like, "Oh, hi, how are you doing? Uh, please introduce yourself." Uh, yeah, no, I'm the Good Samaritan. I'm a democratic socialist from California, Southern California, more specifically. Uh, I had a segment with uh, our friend, homegrown syndicalist, a couple days ago. So uh, yeah, you guys invited me on. I'm here just to have fun and talk about a uh, radical leftist politics, I suppose. Great. So we are continuing, um, not, of course, the project never ends, but uh, to finish up a kind of line of thought on dual power building, I suppose, uh, which is now a month long, but wrapping up with going from sh episode to episode is like a continuing conversation, right? You know, f a month ago, we were talking about general direct action, then mm. an episode called Islands of Anarchy, where I, you know, we talked about kind of commune building or types of that communalism governance in uh, direct democracy governance then sure. uh last week was alternative currencies we talked time banking we talked like old types of socialist labor notes and what we passed over were cryptocurrencies which is what we're going to hype today 
uh, and discuss via a particularly deep writer, the blockchain socialist. First, I have a, I wanted to share with the audience and, and you two as well. Um, I discussed this on, um, our last homegrown stream as well on Twitch. Go to homegrown hangout. Uh, I have found a publication called Palladium that I'm enamored with. Uh, in that kind of way of like, oh, I found something actually new. Like when I read it, this reads differently than everything else I read. And trust me, people, um, people out there, it really does help to read things yourself. I know you maybe feel informed by listening to other people read things or talk or like, um, let's say it's a public radio and they they have the author on and they explain their book. You kind of get a, a summary for it, right? It's helpful to have that summary, but you don't. I think you don't expand your thinking and your toolbox without actually doing the reading, which is kind of what all of the chuds and, and the right-wingers and, and other confused moderates kind of might have in common is that, like, you know, they, they, they do the Cliff Notes version of political science. They never have actually engaged with it. And by engagement, it doesn't have to be reading, right, if you're not a strong reader or if you have a type of intelligence that's more like I absorb more by drawing, then it is a matter of the media of choice, right? Those video makers uh, that talk geopolitics, they're way more informative than any amount of cable news watching you could ever do. Palladium is, uh, I figured out, they, they identify as posthumanists, which, uh, but I've also, I was whack, racking myself for the last week of like, what is their position like uh, politically or otherwise, and they're elitists. They are the elitists. Um, they are like the political higher up class that kind of does, in fact, look down on the rest of society managing things. They're they're like, how do we manage things better? But it's weird because, like, in the same way, like uh, you know, the anecdote where Obama read Marx to pick up girls, and he, <laughs> yes. I think these people have done the same thing. Or rather, they've read Marx. But they have not engaged with it to the point of like, yeah, we should actually form a worldview around this or incorporate it. It's more of like, oh, this interesting point. Because they're so right. middle ground-ish that it's like we take the good from everywhere, uh, both Marx and Hitler. <laughs> not literally, of course. Well, but we're the National Socialist Party, right? No, I'm just kidding. Yes. Well, uh, not literally Hitler, but just like <laughs> conservative writers who talk of the need for order and and all that stuff, and how democracy is toxic because it just becomes mob rule and blah blah. Um, so they would be kind of like the enlightened set centrists of this of this political sphere. Yes, of the last four years, because they did start recently. And so it's like they're the um, new type or the same people. All the editors are on Twitter, by the way. So uh, with a link that I will share, you can go and harass them or get a deep dive so in there. That's where the blue check marks come from. You just got to work. You just got to be an elitist and work for some place. Yes. And uh, Twitter will <laughs> give you the blue check mark. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But then you're right in the bureaucracy. You're and right their, their tagline is something. governance futurism. Um, interesting, interesting. Now, now there's there's another uh, when we get through if we get through all the blockchain stuff in the next uh, hour and a half, um, we'll go to their the point they have. They they do make good points though. They they're very they they do make good observations though. That's why I've like this. There is like value here, of course. It's not just to read for the laws. What, what did you say they were under? It was like government what government their government. tagline like it's Palladium Governance Futurism. Yeah. 
Okay, that that sounds like Tourette's syndrome. I'm just saying. Gotcha. <laughs> it sounds like that sounds dyslexic. <laughs> so, but uh. Well, their um their writing style is of course very jargon heavy, very much like Wall Street Journal type of right. like very like an academic text basically. They write essays mm. that are academic tests text. So I would be mm. summarizing them no matter what. The summary I, I want to do first uh, to kind of break into the currency um, or cryptocurrency type of uh, discussion is uh, one called why the U.S. dollar could outlast the American empire. So they acknowledge we have mm-hmm. an empire, right? They, they're, they are the imperialists and they're proud of it. Um, this was written last month by a Bern Hobart. And it, it details the transition from the a pound, the British currency dominated global economy, to the dollar dominated. You know, it kind of explains how that happened. There was the Bretton Woods Agreement in '48 that broke down because America just couldn't be as profitable as before. Because by '71, 1971, well, the world that was bombed out had rebuilt itself. As soon as there was actual competition, America couldn't basically be profitable anymore. Thus, they had to shift to a finance-based economy. Neoliberalism uh, is created. And this, and this cycles into the other article I have of them, which is kind of about like who the Trump base really is. The ongoing discussion hmm. of are they working class? Are they economically insecure? Uh, are they educated? Are they, you know, it's like, who are they? You know, it's a, there, there seems to be a kind of binary at work where it's like, well, they could be both, both uneducated and rich. Hmm. Um, but these are the people writing this, like, from Harvard and stuff. In fact, like, this other article of theirs was, like, the importance of tradition, why it was such a bad thing that Skull and Crossbones was ended. Oh, yeah, it talks of Singapore and how, like, they secretly switch to the dollar so like they actually like because of their top-down economy they just did some accounting uh, creative accounting to trick the british government that they were actually buying dollars let's see they um today a handful of countries are trying to escape the dollar's orbit but the efforts are halting and inconsistent for example Russia and China complete a massive gas pipeline project last year with the gas priced in yuan rather than dollars. For Russia, this is a way to avoid sanctions. For China, it's a way to make the yuan a more prominent currency and, of course, to secure gas. But relations between the countries are challenged. China has much more protectionist than the U.S. and much more powerful. Let's see, I think there was a... uh, Oh, yeah, it uses terms like the shelling point, uh, which is basically like when... Something is the default position that you take. I think, oh yeah, I wanted to start reading in the last, so it's not, I'm not reading the whole thing, but port is, oh yeah, so it's mentioning that like the U.S. has chronic trade deficits. This is something that conservatives always rang about, trade deficits. A trade deficit can only come about when trade partners prefer the currency they get to the goods they give up. The fact that U.S. recessions are often associated with higher trade deficits, higher financial deficits, and a higher dollar, more, a more valuable one, implies that the global demand for dollars has a large effect than the U.S.'s demand for imported goods. So I'm going to read that point again, that uh, the rest of the global economy wants to buy dollars more than, you know, and it has a, you know, it matters more than our ability to buy stuff at Walmart. If a country's biggest export is the dollar itself, 
our export. What does it specialize in? The U.S. has a large and robust financial services industry, meaning Wall Street, which has been surprisingly resilient <laughs> because of bailouts uh, in the face of its own tendency to periodically shoot itself in the foot or with massive credit bubbles. The U.S. is the world's largest spender on defense by far, and the tech industry can be seen as an outgrowth of both. The original Silicon Valley companies were bootstrapped bootstrap, you know, by defense spending, and today's industry is built off a virtuous cycle, as they call it, the, where previous generation of successful founders then become the next generation of investors, uh, fools leading fools. Some companies, uh, countries with a desirable currency, and I mentioned Switzerland, uh, here we go. I wanted to, this is where I wanted to start. So the U.S. that had to balance, so like, if we had to actually balance our trade in the future, uh, that would mean more economically, uncer economic uncertainty. But it would also be a country that couldn't support as large a financial services sector as it currently has. Oh, you mean we couldn't support Wall Street? Okay, good. Uh, for decades, financial institutions have been hiring rocket scientists, PhDs in physics, computer, computer science, and electrical engineering to design trading algorithms and value esoteric derivatives. If the U.S. did not have this constant financial inflow from the rest of the world, some of those rocket scientists might find that their better use for their talents would, in fact, be designing rockets. Imagine that. For average Americans, and it's like saying that people can follow their passions again. Right. right. Yeah. For average Americans, the picture is a bit different. In the short term, a drop in global trade would hit their consumption basket particularly hard, leading to more expensive clothes, furniture, everything you buy at Walmart. And it would also mean more localized competition, which would push inequality down. This is speaking from like a liberal economics point of view. The average consumer might find that their consumption looks a bit worse, but their balance sheet would look better. The portion of their earnings going to smartphones and TVs wouldn't go as far, but their wages would be higher. So housing, health care, and education, all non-tradable categories, would be more affordable. The direct effects, so, so like this paragraph is important. Why do you think it is? Because it's saying that all of the things that we actually need are expensive because all the things we don't need are cheap. Things that we do need, they can get away with making them expensive because we all need it, so we're all going to pay for it. So the people who pro provide it get stupid rich. Right. It's the kind of change with real fallout. Cutting spending at a time of crisis is generally a recipe for riots. You figure. The EU found this out the hard way during its austerity policies. Its various political upheavals today are, in many ways, the ripples of the early 2010s, meaning a decade ago. The very variety of protests America saw during the pandemic are another example. When people have no work left to go to and little left to lose, it only takes some ambitious and coordinated leadership to release the valves of rage. That's why the spending alternative is attractive. A duty to shop is easier to bear than a duty to scrimp. Yes, we, we need those $2,000 checks to pay the landlord, to pay sure. the banks. It's all quite wasteful. No global hegemon right. looks quite like the last one. Spain did not replace the Ming as the world's dominant power by demanding tribute from its neighbors. You have to be a history buff to get this paragraph, actually. <laughs> uh, the Netherlands did not replace Spain by seizing gold mines because that's what Spain did. 
The British did hew comparatively close to the Dutch model. Perhaps in the far future, historians will treat North Sea-based colonial empires with free trade characteristics as a continuous category across the channel. But the U.S. model does not match the British one in every particular, the imperial model. But while immediate circumstances change, long-term tendencies are more durable. The dominant country tends to have the dominant currency, and its dominant Mm. currency status tends to outlast other trappings of hegemony. So let's say like military spending goes down, our empire does in fact, whether we're, we're in a multipolar world where China and Brazil and the EU are just as powerful as us uh, economically and otherwise, but everyone's still going to be using the dollar. The dollar is still going to be important, at least for right. a little bit longer, but how much longer? So that, that, that's not too connected to the rest of the conversation, but um, do you have the blockchain socialist side up? I do. Okay. Well, I'll I'll just read the first intro, and if you could, you could go to the Blockchain 101 for socialists. Blockchain can help create a more democratic political economic system. Blockchain is not the usual thing the socialists like to talk about constructively to the detriment of the movement. Uh, as someone who works in this space but is also left-wing, I can provide an honest overview of the technology and how it can be used to chip away at the problematic institutions of capitalism. I will, let's go to part two. Can you go to part two? Also called the technical stuff. This is where, like, I was having a conversation with friends, and we mentioned blockchain, and none of us, well, I I think I had a better grasp of what that meant, but my other artist friends did not have a sense of what blockchain really was. So let's, um, and, and of course, it's a buzzword of corporate America, you know, the blockchain, the blockchain. And now that cryptocurrencies have pretty much gone corporate, or at least they've been co-opted. Totally done, you know, yeah. And this guy does write articles about the failure of cryptocurrencies created by the libertarian right, you know, and caps and whatever. Or libertarians. So that would be the second time, the second time the libertarians have stormed the capital in the same week, right? Except this time they're storming, like, you know, monetary capital, not the, uh, the DC capital. Yeah, or their attempts to. But then they basically <laughs> get bought out. Or, or, like, what usually happens, and this is the, the reporting the blockchain socialist has done, uh, is to point out sure. that they basically just grifty or scam each other. Interesting. Because even as decentralized as it's supposed to be, it isn't. Uh, because when it comes to their own ideology, they actually are top-down. They are one person has the ability to run away with the profit because right. that's in their interest, right? Yeah, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is completely decentralized, right? It's just the users basically commandeer. But what happened was yeah. um, the guy, um, we can go into the weeds with uh, his explanation, but someone made a Bitcoin trading platform. So in order to exchange mm. Bitcoin, you had to go through this person's platform, and then he stole wow. a lot of value. Um, so anyway, uh, so he you... made himself a middleman. Yeah, yeah I can, I can exactly. start with the article. <laughs> the whole point of blockchain so... is that there are no middlemen. So let's get into it. So, all right, now it's time to get down and dirty. I won't bore you with the super technical details of what blockchain is, but I'll try to point out the parts that are relevant for a leftist like yourself. So let's start with the big picture. Traditional versus P2P networks. When nerdy tech guys are trying to design their IT infrastructure, 
be it for a large company's internal information sharing, a startup's disruptive new product, or just something they're just doing for fun, they needed to decide what the overall architecture is going to look like. Traditionally, IT infrastructures have looked like the picture below. There is one central server that contains all the information or resources that somebody's internet-connected device or client might request. This is the client-server model. And it's show the picture is just one central server with, like, a... Devil uh, emoticon. One, yeah, it's got a devil emoticon over top, and then there's a lot of computers that are so connected to the center because they're all getting their information from the central hub. You can also and think of it as a wheel with spokes, but the spokes yeah. are going from the center. Well, it's not the wheel, it's just the spokes. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. There is I no wheel. Right, yeah, that would that would imply that all the other computers I are connected to each other. the wheel is what comes next. Exactly. So the majority of the applications that you would probably use on a regular basis are while interacting with internet use of this model. Right. For example... <laughs> with the yeah. internet use this model. <laughs> Sorry, Ann. For example, when you're retweeting that hilarious video... Re- uh, released by Means TV or browsing the dumpster fire that is r slash the right can't meme, your device is communicating with Twitter or Reddit's central server to show you content made by other users to tell it to publish your post. As you can probably tell, there are some downsides to the client-server model in a capitalist economy. Imagine you're a big tech corporation that owns the servers that provide data to clients i.e. users like you, and you're noticing information being shared that you don't like. Since you, the corporation, are the owner of that server's data, you can easily censor what is shared amongst your clients and what is not. From a technical standpoint, there are downsides to the system because there is one entity which contains all the data, so bad actors can take advantage of this single point of failure to take whatever is being stored in it. On top of that, Maybe you as a corporation can make money by sharing the data created by your users without their knowledge, giving bad actors a semi-legal way to understand social networks to create better campaigns of disinformation during political elections. Alternatively, another type of architecture someone can choose to implement is a peer-to-peer, P2P network. In a P2P network, peers, usually a computer, pool their resources like processing power or memory space together and make it directly available to other peers and network participants without the need for coordination from a central server. Imagine if all the clients banded together to share their resources amongst each other democratically instead of relying on servers to provide data and resources and overthrow the bouge, I mean the servers, that's a P2P network. So the picture here, it kind of, it's, it's the wheel. It's without the spokes and there's lots of random lines connecting all the different computers to each other because they're all connected. It's all a big mesh. It's all a big, it's what the World Wide Web should be, just people connecting instead of big, powerful people who have all of the data and won't, and you got to go to them in order to get the data. It's, it's the network. It's the network model. It's an actual network. Right. So there's a decent chance that if you have ever used a torrent to download something like music, movies, or books, then you've probably taken advantage of a P2P network. P2P networks became popularized back in the 19, or back in 1999 when Napstar came on the scene 
to provide free MP3s to music fans across the world through file sharing. Their P2P-based file sharing systems was taken and slightly adjusted by a series of new entrants like G, Nutella, LimeWire, FrostWire, BitTorrent, and lots of others. Before authorities, pushed by large media companies, cracked down on these P2P networks, it wasn't too difficult to download every Radiohead album at decent quality, so you could be <laughs> sad for free. What's really cool about P2P networks is that they form the foundation of blockchain networks like Bitcoin. So the 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 thing to take away of like what is a blockchain, it is that um, network of computers that are sharing processing power over that are actually connect interconnected to each other instead of going through a central funnel point. And uh, Michael, you had mentioned being sad for free, I believe, but that's kind of how I would also summarize. Uh, that's in the article. Pandemic. I'm just reading the article. This guy's yeah, funny. No, I like him. That's all. Yeah, that's but, all, but all that's, social media. That's also like how that. I would like. Uh, I would summarize, you know, this pandemic not having COVID checks the same way. We all get to be sad for free and despondent and distraught. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be getting our austerity checks soon, I'm sure. We'll probably get a, a check with, like, you know, bootstraps stamped on it or something. <laughs> Here you go. Oh, that's the thing is, my lifestyle is so minimal as far as, like, my needs and whatever that, like, if I did get sure. two grand, um, my living expenses are so low that – if I did get two grand a month, like uh, by the end of the year, or rather by the time the pandemic ended, I would have enough for a house. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, yeah. I'm also in a, a fairly lucky position as well. I'm not. I'm not necessarily stressing it. So we're we're totally. I haven't, I haven't been. We're totally privileged white guys. I'm assuming. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. I've got student loan money that I've still got that's paying my rent at the moment. Oh. oh, wow, that's wonderful. So there's also a meme here of um Twitter post of contributions to society, people who see turrets, many, cops, zero. <laughs> so it's um pirating is praxis, and I agree completely. Pirating is praxis. <laughs> and I've heard that the original, like, the pirate ships of old, like, they were run democratically. Yes, and, very much so. That's awesome like everything Although still, was, still like, was some kind of hierarchy right there was still a captain of the vessel yeah well, but the captain was the elected captain, the cap there elected was two, job, yeah there was two main elected roles there was the captain who was the battle and ship coordinator uh, uh coordinator and then there was the quartermaster who was the financial coordinator and right. both of those uh positions were elected by by the pirates. So when when you're course, little, you think pirates are cool, and then you get a little bit course, older, and they're like, "No, they're stealing. They're bad." And then you get older, and you're like, "No, pirates are awesome." And of course, you knew that the quartermaster was in charge of the finances because you know the designation is in the name, right? He's a master of quarters. Oh, it's yes, kind of like being like the master of coin. Yeah, yeah, exactly, absolutely. And if they weren't doing a good job, then you were unelected. Or, uh, as many cases, if there was disagreements that couldn't be solved on board um, via like very long occupied type discussions, uh, they would split off and basically get another ship. And so you just had two ships instead of one. Like crews would split apart. They would there would be splits, political splits. I, I like the yeah, show Black Sails in um black the, the show Black Sails was pretty good at like obviously still romanticized but very it, it made an effort to depict all of this as well as the actual politics that were going on that like Nassau 
was, you know, it wasn't pirate ruled. It, it still had all of these rich people on it, but there was just no central government. Like the crown was not there, mm. but you still had money was basically political power since, well, commerce was still got king. It, got it. But you had the main character who was all about like, we need the big score so we can actually like stop stealing and build our own economy in the Bahamas. So then we can actually have our own kingdom slash republic, which was kind of the main political goal, but not didn't really get there because, well, state repression and all that. Of course, of course. Interesting. Actually, I noticed when I was browsing the um, the blockchain socialist page, there was a segment on there about imperialism in the uh, in the Caribbean and how blockchain could uh, potentially be used to, to be useful there. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I was not able to listen to that segment, but that seems pretty uh, pretty fascinating. So, oh, an audio segment. So keep going, uh, Michael. Yeah. So why is Bitcoin so interesting anyway? Well, since the beginning of the internet, cypherpunks everywhere advocated for strong use of cryptography and privacy technologies to push for social and political change. Although their ideology had its flaws, like the use of cryptography standards that made user experience difficult for the average computer user, they raised some good points and questions that need to be answered around data protection and privacy. Can I jump now, in? There, there okay. are certain activists who, um, even friends of mine or uh, people I've met, who are, there's these, these cypherpunks that really make it their mission to make hacking accessible where you don't need a, pro- a, a programming science degree to do any of this. And their kind of method was, this was from these techno nomads that I met. The te- Well, I didn't meet them, but they gave a talk at the time-baking conference that I mentioned last episode. And they were a unique type of hippie. One of them did not wear shoes or socks. He was completely barefoot. And But anyway, he goes he goes from place to place hacking for, for communities. And... And their method was kind of breaking things up into modules and then use the module to be able to program your blockchain network thing. So go on. Yeah. So one of the interesting questions brought up was, if with the public infrastructure of the Internet, we can now share ideas across the globe through digital means. We can also create a monetary system which is completely run over the Internet without any central authority to govern it. That's a so, question. Or that's a question, sorry. To give you some context, in case it doesn't sound profound, when you share something on the Internet, you're not literally giving them the same thing you're seeing on your screen. When you press send on the email to Karen in HR, Karen's email application is receiving a copy of that email you send, explaining how Todd in finance keeps eating really loud at his desk. Now, both (laughs) you and Karen have a copy of that mess. Compared to a letter where you actually have to write on a physical sheet of paper about how Todd's mess is stinking up your floor of the office and make sure that the same piece of paper is sent to Karen so she can refer you to section 4.20 and the employee handbook on conflict resolution in the workplace. 4.20. Nice. (laughs) So um, now it shows a meme and it's a picture of Karl Marx and with the quote, boss makes a dollar. I make a dime. That's why I poop on I'm company, company time. Oh, yeah. Karl Marx on the labor theory of value. Karl Marx, the famous rapper. No, no, mm. None flow was ever better. Fantastic, yeah. 
As you can imagine, the limitation of the internet only being able to send a copy of information makes it difficult to use it as an infrastructure for a global monetary system without a central authority. If I try to send a dollar through email, all I've done is created another dollar, so now there are two dollars. Genius. If we had a central authority to say that only the second dollar has worth and the first one doesn't, this authority would now have the power to censor specific parties for their own gain. Which is like another, most contracts over online. Yeah. Another problem with making traditional client-server database that keeps track of how uh, money is how everyone is going to trust the entity that owns the database not to manipulate it. Would it be surprising to find out that the head of this database mysteriously has one million more dollars in their account? How would the authority be able to assure us that a bad actor can't hack into the system to do the same for themselves? Which is actually how our voting machines work. If you guessed <laughs> using a peer-to-peer network rather than a traditional client-server model, then you'd be correct. So in 2008, a bunch of developers led by a mysterious account named Satoshi Nakamoto released the Bitcoin white paper on an online cryptography forum that described a peer-to-peer payment system that was free from any oversight from a central authority and run completely by the nodes in the network. Did I mention this was during the peak of the Great Recession, where bankers got away with causing an immense amount of economic violence against the population without any repercussion and free money because they were too big to fail? The nerds went wild. Mm. And now it shows, like, some kind of... A block of text. uh, John Titer. John Titer. So it goes, Bitcoin Genesis block raw data. We may not know who Satoshi was, but I bet he didn't like the big banks receiving bailouts like most normal people. Once deployed in early 2009, Bitcoin showed that centralized nodes called miners on a peer-to-peer network could each keep track of the ledger that detailed the amount of money Bitcoin everybody else had without needing some government or big company to do it for them. Using home computers, a new way to transact value was created. By making computers and special hardware exert computational energy to solve complex math problems for adding transactions and winning a reward, the blockchain backbone nerds proved that we could automate the function of an entire monetary system. The open architecture of this peer-to-peer network also allowed the average person to keep track of their own copy of the ledger and make sure that all the miners and blocks of transactions were following the predetermined rules of the Bitcoin network. Also, for some unknown reason, our friend Satoshi Nakamoto quickly disappeared, never to be heard from again, and his internet post became a sacred text to Bitcoin superfans. Spicy take, CIA ghost. Interesting. Hmm. Not like not com- serious, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, all these people like, that mysteriously disappear, you know. That's tr- well. Some people like they do a thing, and then they realize, oh shit, that thing got a lot of attention. And, and I don't want attention. I hate attention. <laughs> I hate people. <laughs> yes. Well, there's few types of people. There's the type of person that goes, "Ooh, I don't like this attention," and then there's the type of person that's like, "I need more." Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, I think the most probably the most frustrating position to be in 
is somebody who has a piece of information that they feel needs to be proliferated, but also hates the attention. It's like this needs dissemination, but at the same time, just attention is completely cringy to me. Well, they usually go through someone else who does or either can yeah, handle the attention yeah. or would want the attention, like a cover yeah, that's, man. That's that's maximum. That's maximum praxis. You can also disperse it using. using you can also disperse it using, like, say, a publishing company or like an institution, right? Yeah, you sure. Know, institutions sure. don't become the. Uh, the center of celebrity culture attention, you know, people go like, oh my god, I love the IMF! Absolutely. I, so I couldn't hear what you said, but that just, that still was magnificent. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree. All, it sounded uh, Basically totally what I heard, I, I heard a very cool, like, bitrate frequency that was actually surprisingly harmonious and musical, so that was oh, wonderful. Okay, it, I was a IMF fangirl. <laughs> okay, got it. So, I'm going to keep reading, if that's all right. Go ahead. Of course. Like companies did to Napster after its release, people started to make different variations of Bitcoin, but different cryptocurrencies in order to attempt to make improved versions of it. Most of them didn't catch on because how dare you question the genius of Satoshi Nakamoto, our lord and savior. However, one notable (laughs) successor, Ethereum, did come out to be pretty big for figuring out a neat trick called smart contracts. Smart contracts. Interesting. Now, I would hope Ooh. that a contract... This is something that didn't get big play in, uh, say, yeah. the markets, because um, it's not really something that's, A, useful to profit-making, B, a commodity, uh, which is kind of to summarize what, 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 how to Bitcoin, which this could be this liberating like alternative to dollars... Um, and now it's just used to trade uh, CP. So, um, yeah. but it became a commodity, something to buy and sell, not to simply use as a tool for new economics. It became an integrated with the old economics. So smart contracts. I I'm interested to see what smart contracts are. So I've would hope that they're a way to figure out. Oh yeah, no, keep going, man. Keep going. Fair. We have because my biggest issue with free the free market is people are like oh all the contracts are consensual but they don't take into account how easy it is to To break them uh, well to make a contract that takes advantage of someone without the one person knowing they're being taken advantage of right when i see smart contracts my brain immediately jumps to this solves that exact issue yeah let's let's also what you're what you're describing is also basically our healthcare system in a nutshell, right? It's like a well, it's most of our economic system. Sure, sure, and like specifically in the realm of healthcare, it's like you know all all the deals that they make between like the PBMs, like the pharmacy benefit managers. All those deals are obfuscated; they're not transparent, so mm-hmm. the public literally can't tell how much they're being exploited when it comes to like you know their pharmaceutical costs, all that kind of stuff. Or in any so, transaction, yeah. I mean, the true costs of any, any transaction are not, in fact, there. Yes. Yeah. Very so, true. Let's go into these smart contracts. Let me read this. One sec. Just there's been a chat. Uh, hot take, Bitcoins will never replace current money systems and is just an advantage. And smart contracts can't uh, worm or work for all contracts, just investment. All right. Well, let's let's read this. Mm, now well, that we've established. Okay. 
Well, now that we've established it's possible to create a peer-to-peer infrastructure for sending value cryptocurrency to people across the world without needing a central authority using blockchain, we have the material conditions to program cryptocurrencies to move from one place to another based on predetermined He'll probably note it. Can you message him while I continue reading so we don't have dead air? We have the material conditions to program cryptocurrencies to move from one place to another based on predetermined criteria. That's what we cut out, criteria. To just demonstrate, let's look at a situation and how you have to respond to it today versus if we lived in a blockchain world, particularly like a socialist economy that uses blockchain as a way of doing transactions. Right, because otherwise, how do you? Will you replace a mar- free market with right? However, you define the market. I just use the market because to put on mm. the moniker "free" is, of course, like well, is meaningless. Okay, uh, say you bought a flight back to your hometown with insurance, and a week before your flight, it's canceled. In a world that we live in today, as part of the airline's policy, you may have to call their customer service and request a refund, even though it isn't your fault the flight was canceled. In blockchain world, you could enter insurance agreement in the form of a smart contract with the purchase of your flight, which would be programmed so that if your flight is canceled, then On you automatically release or receive a refund without lifting a finger, because that's how it should be. Interesting. Now, it could be argued that airlines can still automate this process within their own centralized system. However, the point here is not the automation itself, but the immutability of the contract that has been agreed upon by the purchaser and the airlines. In the blockchain world example, the purchaser does not need to trust United Airlines that they're going to pay them back. In the code of the contract, the purchaser can very clearly see the inputs needed for the contract to send money. The contract can't be interpreted by a paid-off judicial system because the smart contract isn't owned by any single person. It's owned by the network. The smart contract is essentially a trustless interaction between parties that can give certain protections to its participants. This has the potential to greatly limit the exploitative power that the bourgeoisie has over the working class. Now, I want to jump in to uh, say something that he doesn't write. The main point is that the network is a commons, right? Today, networks are property. Property of Twitter, property of big tech, property of Wall Street at the end of the day property of billionaires and millionaires. But networks that are P2P are commons. Thus, um, they do the, do the things better, right? More fair, more equity, more justice. And thus... The other thing about like coding, though, is that it requires binaries, you know, yeses and nos. The law as it is is all very subjective. Um, it annoys me when, just to put some recent news spin, that the Democratic Party says, well, we could impeach Trump and use the 25th Amendment or this amendment, but or, or this law that was written during Reconstruction, specifically, like, so people don't secede again, or, you know, if someone causes insurrection in the way that the South, uh, Southern leaders did, that we could actually punish them. Well, 
we have this law written, but we don't really know if we could, if it applies here. We don't actually know how to enforce this law. You know, whenever a politician says that, usually when they don't want to actually enforce a particular law, because certain activists passed a law, and then it becomes a debate of how to use it. And yeah. that becomes and subjective. And to the court, basically. Right. And the, and then, yeah, and courts have their own biases. And whoever controls the courts gets to say what the law actually means with precedent. Yes. And it's only like certain culture of impartiality when it comes to, you know, judges and the courts. But, uh, well, social science says that impartiality is itself a type of bias um, or a mm. myth, a myth like meritocracy. Um, so, yeah, there's one last uh, paragraph in this part. Yeah, there's one last paragraph. In this situation, and many like it, blockchain is able to make a more transparent interaction between parties, especially if there is a large power gap. This, of course, or this is, of course, a very simple example to make it easier to understand. But with this fundamental feature, we can then create more complex smart contracts that apply to more meaningful situations. At first glance, this may not seem especially useful, but in the next se section, I'll go into more detail that shows exactly how smart contracts and blockchain in general could be co-opted for leftist causes. And with that, we'll we'll leave that for the next hour. Um, so, guys, what do you think of this? Good Samaritan, especially want to hear from you. Well, for me personally, I've never really delved into the world of cryptocurrency. So this is like a very mysterious and elusive domain for a uh, direct action for me. <laughs> so as this with is most, basically the yeah. first time I'm really rubbing my feet. What's that? Yeah, as with most. I mean, it's it's a very unexplored piece. That's why this guy this guy exists literally because other leftists sure. do not talk of this. Um, well, but, the thing that's so yeah. fascinating about it is that it basically seems like a, a new vanguard in a way, like a, a potentially like you know beneficial or mm. or practical front line for like I guess you could say. Uh, extracting resources but would, would would this be like how would this specifically be used to facilitate or manifest leftist movements or or revolutionary actions um he goes into that a little bit i would speak uh -huh. to how it's more about he sees it and as i would and anyone does as seeing it a piece of a wider movement or a piece of a transitionary mm. economy in fact he makes the case that this is not part of like the end goal is all a transitionary tactic um, because right. when it comes down to the left, we're not really known for our capital accumulation uh, or our holding of capital. So we kind of, <laughs> sure. we yeah. kind of need but at the to, same time, yeah. at the same time though, when it comes to many revolutionary movements, whether they're undergoing like a general strike or something like that, I guess you could say um, mm -hmm. accumulating resources beforehand has been integral to the success of those revolutionary they were um, fundraising for a long yeah. time before that, yeah, or or even in a or in a the apartheid as well. Before they mounted their general strike against the white business owners, they had stockpiled a lot of resources first. So I'm wondering if this if this Bitcoin cryptocurrency avenue is just kind of like a protected domain for stashing and accumulating resources to be used for leftist goals and aspirations. Yeah, it would be a mean for that because like in in a system that's hell bent on keeping capital and resources away from us um if not right. just passively more not just like we can't let the poor have any property it's more like well we can't 
we don't need them to have property A and B wouldn't be profitable for them to have property kind of thing. Because mm, the yeah, poor okay, can't manage property because they haven't managed property. You know, you can't have a good mm. professional job because you haven't, you're not in the pipeline for a professional job. You haven't held the lower lackey status or whatever, or you don't want to. Mm. So, stuff like that. The, right. the, oh. the, like, I, I encountered this in the time banking conference. So you had the, um, you weren't here for it, uh, Good Samaritan, but uh, if you listen to the episode or as anyone else can, that uh, we discussed time banking, how these are on the ground, grassroots, direct action type of community building projects. And this mm. would fit into that as well as say um, internet mesh networks. That's another type of using P2P technology or infrastructure to create our own internet. An internet that is, in fact, under community control because it's a commons, right? It's dependent on every computer that's in the network, right? So it is not. So basically a server that's more protected than 4chan. Yes. Ama yes, amazingly. Right. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> um, now, um, let's say the, the liberal might say, but, oh, but then nefarious things can happen, right? You know, just like how when the Black Panthers had community control in the neighborhood, oh, that's a, then there's crime, or, or rather things that the system calls crime, like, say, regulated drug use or uh, health care that isn't through the proper channels, uh, stuff like that. Mm, right. Um, All right. I we have a few minutes, then. I have a very funny meme that I just came across. Today. Go ahead. It's uh, a to of right-wing dope. So it's... Um, That's the name of the page? No, no. It's um, just there's... It was in semi-automated radical business class centrism. Uh, it's basically just... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Drag That's band. a mouthful. It's like a pretend joking about being enlightened centrists when actually everybody in there is an extremist. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, so but both like, sides um, are violent, guys. All extremes are on the same side. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the meme is like, hey, man, how's it going? It's talking to Q and QAnon. And then it shows this red post from 4chan that is actually absolutely incredible. It goes... Joe Biden has been arrested. The deep state is in disarray and has struck a deal with the Trump administration. There will be an experimental surgery that will ch exchange the faces of Biden and Trump. So <laughs> when you watch Biden's inauguration, you will really be watching Trump being sworn in for a second term. And when you're watching Trump's trials, what you're really going to be seeing is Biden paying for his crimes. And also, when Trump, as Biden, stammers or slurs his words, that's because Trump is still learning to duplicate his speech patterns. That is a wow. scarily dystopian uh, type of, like, reality fixing. Like, the problem is, I don't know if it's satire. <laughs> I, I don't Oh no! If it's real, it's, it's satire like, in that so how the how the cures think is like there's a grand plan, and anything that happens can be interpreted as part of the plan. It is because you start with a premise that there's a plan, God's plan, Trump's plan, whatever. Same same logic. Yes. Q's plan. Yeah, Q's plan. Right. It, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still yeah, the actual yeah, figure Q. Oh, yeah. What the, what the heck is Q doing in Anon, anyways? I thought he was in the Delta Quadrant this whole time. 
Q can be everywhere and nowhere. You know, the journey never ends, Good Samaritan. The trial is never What's over. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I got. We gotta the go to the bumpers. Uh, hold on. Make some noise for Alexander Hamilton. And in this corner, the creator of the Bitcoin, the believer in the blockchain. Give it up for Satoshi Nakamoto. Mr. Hamilton, you may begin. Before we begin, everyone do me a favor and read a little thing I wrote called the Federalist Papers. Yeah. I explain how a nation's unlikely to survive without a strong central government to keep it alive. When I launched the central bank, Jefferson called me ill. Now you have my face to thank on every $10 bill. When America was cash-strapped, I pushed past that. Now some sicko makes crypto, and our nation backtracks. Decentralized currency? Yes, I invented it. I'm sure many governments wish they had prevented it. The national cash is how they keep control. But freedom to the people was my all ultimate goal am i a pseudonym a group of men it doesn't even matter nope. i invented bitcoin because fiat is a disaster a man from japan or a damn hologram i'm the reason open season on crypto began does anybody know what this crypto thing means nope. to me sounds like the new get broke quick scheme yeah, a bunch of fools from across the land investing in something they don't even understand buying litecoin cash bitcoin cash it's all gonna crash and be gone in a flash all this unsupported money's an irrational prank and i'll be laughing all the way to my national bank. <laughs> yeah, dude, super funny. As if banks these days still help people make money. The rich get richer and we follow like we're all sheep. The banks serve Wall Street. Crypto serves all streets. The interest in crypto's on rapid ascent. What's your current interest? Like half a percent? I'm sorry, the bank's gone past its peak. But I want info encrypted, not hacked and leaked. If this crypto system will be our salvation, it needs to be centralized. Needs regulation. If our central database gets how you say hack, insurance will just make a case to get your money. Money back, cause in fact it's trapped and the money leaves a trail. Central currency is strong, cryptocurrency is frail. Untraceable money, wow, so clever. One typo in your address, now it's gone forever. Crypto is frail, that's the essence of your lesson. Your money leaves a trail, yeah, a trail to a recession. A bunch of rich white guys made this system. Why would they ever change it when it made them rich men? Movie moguls fought hard against the VCR. Horse and buggy manufacturers all hated the car. So why would I take my advice from the banks? I don't need a bailout to survive. Thanks. The system is so broken. We need that crypto token. The system isn't broken. Can we trust crypto token? It's gotta be centralized. Decentralized. Centralized. Decentralized. We need control. Free enterprise. Bring me the facts. Please testify. Fiat's the way a government controls the populace. Government protects its people. All of this is obvious. They keep the peace, and so they keep control. You want us ruled by crypto miners no one even knows? Oh, it's that strong central government bit again. They protect people, but only their citizens. Crypto has no borders. It's a true global currency and censorship resistance for those who need it urgently. Banks earn trust by assuming liability. You know what key? We know the customer explicitly. Will the real Satoshi please stand up? Nope. You'll still be hiding when crypto bust.
us. You don't need to trust the people, you just need to trust the code. Yep. Every record's in the network, you just one node. And when you find a flaw, there's a software update. Now try updating cash. Go ahead, I'll wait. It's wait, cash works. You immediately pay. Crypto's a far worse medium of exchange. Can't Bitcoin the dentist? Nope. Can't Bitcoin my breakfast? Nope. Can't even use Bitcoin at Bitcoin conventions. Nope. No currency starts with universal adoption. It takes time for places to make it an option. Plus, billions of people don't have bank accounts. No savings, no interest, no checks to bounce. You're saving the world, but what's the price you're paying? The only change you're creating is climate change. Power grids spiking all across the land. Overheated, no one needs it, hope it all gets banned. From the king of paper currency, the hypocrisy. For bills and forms and triplicates, you're killing all the trees. Don't like my power usage? Stop targeting my rights. I own my purchase power, and the market sets the price. It's gonna get real dark if this is crypto's night. They use your currency for crimes, that's your kryptonite. Most crime is done with Benjamins, not the blockchain. There's a reason most dollars carry traces of cocaine. Where's your proof of work? That's pure speculation. Those dark net black markets need more regulation. The world's full of currencies, and this one makes it worse. 180 now, Bitcoin's 180 first. It's not the currency itself, it's the method, man. You can't build things that last without a central plan. Crypto is a balance to the centralized model, cause things fall apart, the sensor cannot hide. If you end up having problems, I feel bad for you, son. I've got 99 problems, but a bit ain't one. Gone. Hold on. We are not having a duel. Once in a while, maybe you will feel the urge to break international copyright law by downloading mp3s from file sharing sites like morpheus or grokster or limewire or kazaa but deep in your heart you know the guilt would drive you mad and the shame would leave a permanent scar Cause you start out stealing songs Then you're robbing liquor stores And selling crack And running over school kids with your car So don't download this song The record stores where you Like the evil, hard-bitten criminal scum you are So don't download this song Don't go pirating music all day long Go and buy the CD like you know that you should Oh, don't download this song Don't take away money 
those revelatory moments, those oh, epiphanies. Guys, guys, hold on. A little bit of hope. So we're back. In a guys, like, guys, can you hear me? Humanist utopian future where oh, like, can't hear me. we do have all of the crazy technology and stuff. Oh, I'm Michael, not opposed. Like, oh. Uh, one second, Adam is back. Ah, okay. Can you hear me now? Uh, yes, I'm so sorry. Okay. I just I muted you for a second during the bumpers in the interim because the bumpers kind of cut in and out. In yeah, and no, out no, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, the um, I had to deafen you. You do not have to oh. mute me. So now we know that for next time. Um, because you you were um you could be heard over the bumpers and uh and then oh <laughs> and then oh, and then I'm since not, you I'm muted not. me when I was back and the bumpers were done you couldn't tell. Oh. Well, then the audience was, the audience was treated to a magnificent conversation by the way even even candidly we we, we have very poignant and, and pertinent things to be saying apparently so oh, of course well I mean the, we the beauty of podcasts like, the beauty of podcasting was that it wasn't radio and it didn't have such hourly interruptions um, but community right. radio is a bit uh, different in that we don't have a lot of ads but the ads we do have is Pertinent community information, COVID updates, how to get it vaccinated, and yeah. uh, and and also our underwriters, which are all community organizations as well. Let me just as far just, as my COVID update okay. is concerned, yeah, no, oh, oh no, just a little anecdote. Yeah, I just recently learned my, that my father tested positive for a coronavirus, so that's a uh, that's my COVID update. Well, he has something in common with President Macron of France. <laughs> there you go, Brian. Oh man, that was news. It's just morning. it's just been it's been fascinating to see how how quickly this has spread and dispersed itself in like you know the upper echelons, the upper echelon of our bureaucratic systems. It's just well, because uh, now maybe they're the most active now. Um, but yeah. mm. but disease. Yeah. Um, well, what one of the things that broke down the medieval order, or rather the European Middle Ages order in feudalism, was that the it wasn't just the Black Death. There were multiple plagues over a century. It was like every 20 years there was a plague, and every time it spared no one, nobles, no mm. one. So that so and oh priests. And when priests died of it, that's when it's just like this whole like you know absolute devotion and protection from God's grace doesn't seem to matter. And <laughs> no, that's when there was this. Okay, maybe we need to pray differently or see things differently in this. Renaissance thought was an outgrowth from a, a reduced labor force and thus even workers is like we need to be paid more or we could be paid more. We have more negotiating power. You need us more mm. than you, you know, than we need you. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of that going on. And, and Protestantism was kind of just as movements need to have that spiritual dimension, you know, they, they're expressed through new spirituality and you know, leftism to you know, in the, the century probably is either missing that, or it's being expressed in older ways, or mm. or atheistic ways. The kind of neo-humanism is required. I mean, well, actually, to me, no, actually, the, to me, ecology, which is why it's one of the flags of the three lefts, is like social ecology. To me, is the kind of new spirituality because like there was a meme of someone saying like, look, uh, you know. The, all this chaos to the, today, kind of, we need God. And they couldn't, like, oh, yeah, when asked to ex say, like, well, what is God? Do you just mean these unquestioned belief systems? Is that what you mean by God? Um, and they say, like, just a belief, you know, just a belonging to a greater whole. And and then the being goes to, like, um, a tectonic knight saying, Dash Vut, 
the overall will of the cosmos to, uh, wills this. <laughs> Too funny. Yes. And <laughs> but social ecology is that greater whole, but it just demands that we actually interact and interdepend on the rest of life instead of dominating mm. it. And then also includes then not dominating our fellow man, which Christianity was in practice um, when, when it's at its best is also about. Benevolent at best, malicious at worst, I think is probably the, the summarization. Like most Sorry. philosophies, yes. So uh, welcome right. back. This is uh, just to give the intro again. Uh, this is a three left show. We are talking alternative cryptocurrencies in particular as a wrap up to alternative currencies and direct action or rather dual power building, which then the blockchain socialist is about to impart on us. So I'll read this part since you did the last, Michael. In order to first understand uh, what blockchain can give to the left. So now, now we're talking about, okay, blockchain has been explained and uh, its differences from standard way of doing things, whether it be trading money or contracts, meaning that's decentralized, it's not controlled by any one person, commons. In order to first understand what blockchain can give to the left, let's define what the left broadly wants to achieve. We could reduce it to seize the means of production for the proletariat or fully automated luxury gay space communism, but let's be more specific. These goals can be roughly divided into short, medium, and long term. And I love doing this, by the way. This is what, like, when you make, like, a five, you make a, a one, a five, and a ten-year plan, basically. Short term, weaken capitalist institutions while growing an economic ecosystem that offers an alternative mode of production based on working-class solidarity. This also to fight back against fascism and prevent or, you know, reduce climate catastrophe. So that's a short term, right? That's what, when we do direct action, that should be on our minds. And, and, and building community radio is also part of that. Wink, wink. Medium term. End capitalism as the main mode of production in the global economy and institute a democratically owned economy from a growing alternative mode. That, you know, the, the one that we've been growing, aka socialism. Long term goal, create a classless, stateless, abundant society, aka communism. So these are all things. So the Democratic Party cannot be communist because, well, it is made up of capitalist institutions. It is not undermining them. It's not even doing the short-term goal. And the thing is, the short-term goal is the building of socialism, the producing of it, which is something that is kind of said often about left tube and, and our, even what we're doing could be considered like if we get a lot of people listening to us, they're just consuming socialism. They're not producing it. We Are we producing it? Not really either, unless we are part of projects like creating media enterprises and then blockchain enterprises. So how can blockchain help achieve these goals? Well, first let's look at how other P2P networks have helped. Rather, in part two, when we looked at P2P file sharing programs like Napster and how it made it very easy for people to download music for free, even though programs like Napster were shut down or changed their business strategies after long legal battles, it had a profound effect on the music industry. Going to skip the general history lesson here, but for the summarize it, actually, we do have time. If you take a look at the graph below, includes a graph, you'll see uh, that from the 80s to the year 2000, when Napster was released, the music industry was growing in total revenue at a steady pace. 
standard capital accumulation. When you see revenues go into free fall after the release of Napster, the market tried to respond with the iTunes store to convince people to buy songs at 99 cents a pop instead of downloading free music from the file sharing platform or program. As you can tell from the graph, it didn't really work. And today's revenues from the music industry are still half of that 99 peak. What prevented the music industry from going to zero was the capitalist attempt at synthesizing P2P file sharing with their offer of li limitless music at your fingertips with venture capital paid uh, UX designers and a business model. Now today, the music industry is heavily reliant on streaming services like Spotify that offer free streaming with advertisements or no advertisements for a monthly subscription without fearing that you will be charged by a court to pay $220,000 for downloading 24 songs illegally. There's a link to the last time this happened in 2010. P2P networks are able to cut, and now the um, as far as music revenues, it is all pretty much completely digital. P2P networks were able to cut yearly music industry revenues by $10 billion. That's some serious degrowth and disruption. Now, the music industry isn't the most exploitative industry on the planet, though there are certainly many documentaries about how it, it is thus. And musicians could be paid fairly for their work. However, remember the short-term goal of weakening capitalism. A few P2P programs were able to completely change the music industry business model in the course of a decade to make parasitic record companies a whole lot less money. I'd say it's a small win. Now imagine if we could do the same thing except to very large and exploitative industries like finance. My mouth is watering just thinking about it. <laughs> now let's bring in dual power. There is an ongoing economic war between capitalist mode of production and an inclusive and democratic alternative. The one that we aspire. There is a capitalist power structure in which the institutions of capitalism exert their power, whether through politicians or through property, to reach their goals of profit-making or making profit. Then there is the state power structure in which the state institutions exert power based on who has control of it, based on elected and unelected officials. By and large, the capitalist class has significantly more influence over the state than the rest of us. No, duh. Taking control of state institutions is one way of trying to create an alternative. But what if instead we create our alternative based on social ones, social principles? Lucky for us, some people have already started it. This is the social economy represented by economic activity of various types that are based on a mutualism, on direct action, co-ops, and other types of worker-owned business, not consumer-owned, but, you know, it's adjacent, as well as solidarity. Essentially, people over profits. Of course, this isn't real socialism, but we need to think bigger. Capitalism did not spring out of feudalism in an instant of realization that giving a large portion of your harvest to your lord to feed the God-ordained monarchy was actually a silly idea. It came as a gradual transition over time after the material conditions for, what, for it to become a prominent mode were reached. Today, we would call the mini-capitalism during feudalism with created capitalism, mercantilism. We can view the social economy as essentially a mini-socialism. Unsurprisingly, one big model the social economy faces, as he's calling, you know, basically everything that I've ever talked about on this show, the social economy, 
faces is access to capital. Under capitalist assumptions, solidarity is very rarely profitable. And I, it does hurt a little when you have people who kind of want to make the case that solidarity is somehow profitable. And this is them trying to get access to some of that capital. A bank yeah. loan to start a co-op, let's say. Co-ops are actually even more resilient and profitable. Not the point. Mm. One reason behind this is that fiat currency, also normal money, is controlled by capitalist and state institutions because, you know, there's the, what was it? The Federal Reserve is a, a quasi-public institution. You have the Treasury, that's public. But then you also have the banking sector, which is private, and they also create money when they issue loans. Let's see. And they use it as a leash on the working class to force them into wage slavery. That's us. If And that's even if you're a professional. If they made it easy for you to make money, you wouldn't need to join the labor market and get a job at a company owned by Mr. Burns for low pay and few benefits to get by. We should not view capital as just fiat money so that we can buy stuff we think we need. Capital is broader than that. It is anything that can, as this is a Marxist thing, uh, can enhance one's power to perform economically useful work. Hmm? Uh, of which financial capital it has a very strong influence <laughs> under the current rendition of our system. Well, on one side, we can continue all efforts toward increasing access to capital for the social economy. On the other, we can start building, like by crowdfunding, basically. On the other, we can start building an alternative infrastructure for funding projects and rewarding labor through cryptocurrency. I can hear the objections by some already. I also want to point out that, oh, let's see, um, there's also the tactic by the old Communist Party of, you know, be a capitalist, make a lot of profit, and fund the revolution with them. And I, mm. I think in some uh, dual power type of articles I, we've read, um, a similar suggestion is made like, oh, yeah, it was in like the 11 things anarchists can do. Like one is, in fact, get a job, right. earn money. So try to beat the capitalists at their own game? Yes, which is, I, I cringe at this, um, because... Are we talking about super capitalism now? <laughs> super capitalism. Super. Uh, not really, since it's like, um, super capitalism describes what we want. Right, right. But yes, but as far as, yes. But yeah, but that's, I mean, what I mean, like, yeah, but actually what it is, when a co-op um, proponent wants to make, you know, makes the case that, like, co-ops are actually more profitable and better for the market economy... That is them sure. making. That is oh, them. Yes. That is them doing the super capitalism meme, actually. So oh, yeah, of course. It's, so Vosh is the kind of funny yes. thing about it is that you know worker cooperatives satisfy the requirements and the aspirations of capitalism better than capitalism does. Yeah, more productive. You know, Vosh is. Kind of yeah, and the same thing when we want to talk, and this is you know the the case is made, and this is where Vosh stands, where it's like people have certain expectations of what they value, like freedom. So you make just hammer that socialism is actually more freedom, which it is. Sure. So we just focus on that instead of the other, like, say, democracy aspects. Because when it comes down to it, many people don't actually care about democracy since we're all kind of trained to compete and have things our own way or expect right. that we should have our own way. And so when we don't, we just feel bad. Absolutely. Which I did the other night. So I'm not immune. 
Oh yeah, the, the other thing I want to mention was like, so you had communist party members who owned businesses and they they ran them very equitably, but they weren't democratically run, right? These were, you know, say Stalinists or something, and so they're still sure. very top down, and and their money, their profits were either well, a they did pay higher wages and more benefits and all that stuff. In fact, you could say that all those businesses that people love were probably run by socialists that just weren't couldn't be out as socialists because of McCarthy era, but they right. were sending money to the socialist party to yeah, legal fees to, you know, keep leaders out of jail and other stuff like that. And that's kind of where like they had, they accumulated quite a lot of money, but they were kind of funneling it not into building more socialism um, or more worker organizing, or maybe they did at some point, And that's why there was a lot of worker organizing until 75. Um, when right. basically that economic cycle was over and all of these communist or socialist business owners, well, either they couldn't or didn't hand the ownership to the workers, um, to their workforce. They didn't do that. They either handed it or they had to sell out or sell it to some conglomerate because there was consolidation. Again, the crisis of the 70s. It, it wasn't a long-term model. It didn't work long-term. Um, it did improve things, but only until, well, only as long as America was reigning in a, as a hegemony over a world that was bombed out. Mm. Okay, back to the blockchain socialists. Let me be extra clear. My argument is not for, so what he, uh, where he left off is that we could fund a social economy, a mini socialism, by, um, with an infrastructure, by paying people with cryptocurrency, and the point is that local shopkeepers and all these new small businesses that are co-ops will also just accept the cryptocurrency. Let me be extra clear. My argument is not for some, everyone. So that way, like the only thing you really have to buy with dollars and depend on the fiat currency for is the materials, which when you think about like what makes housing so expensive, labor costs. Labor is what is the most expensive. Material is always the cheapest uh, part of doing anything. Okay, back to it. Now, what I'm saying is that there is class warfare happening, and as class consciousness increases, the capitalist class will feel more and more threatened, uh, thus new domestic terrorism laws. It is not outside the realm of possibility that state and capitalist institutions make it even more difficult for socialists to gain access to various forms of capital, including fiat kind. Keeping this in mind, we need to have a strategy resilient to this type of attack. This means that when that happens, there needs to be an ecosystem that already exists using a digital currency that cannot be tampered with by the state or by banksters. One day, financial institutions like banks and PayPal could say no to giving services to all left-wing content, and Chapo Trap House wouldn't have access to their 100000 per month on Patreon. I'm not the first leftist to say this. Enoch Duran is a Catalonian anti-capitalist activist who took out hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans from Spanish banks, which he never paid back in order to build Faircoin and the ecosystem around it. Faircoin is a cryptocurrency originally based on Bitcoin that they have changed to use very little energy to use as a transfer value, which to me was like the big, my big problem with Bitcoin was that it was so energy intensive. But he created Faircoin, um, which does the same thing as Bitcoin, um, and it can be used to transfer value within a fair co-op 
ecosystem, you know, co-op economy. I don't think he mentions it here, but um, yeah, he doesn't. But Eric Dernan is, in fact, a man on the lamb. He, he didn't get away with doing this, <laughs> but he is hiding out. This brings us to the Decentralized Autonomous Organization, or DAO. In part two, we discussed a bit about smart contracts, so he brings this back in, which are contracts written onto a blockchain in computer code, you know, in a common network. It can take many types of actions based on some predefined criteria. This is interesting for the left because of blockchain's immutability, and it can offer trustless interactions. Because, like, a big problem with, uh, not a problem, but, like, a limit of community building is it can be done between only, like, this commons economy can really, you, you need to trust everyone involved, you know, in a working group, in an organization. And the bigger it gets, the harder it is to trust everybody. Sometimes you can't even trust people in a clique, you know, backstabbing, mean girls, uh, mean trots. <laughs> Do you know that page, mean trots? It's it's a it's a, it's a there's a, there's a page called mean trots. So it's like mean girls, but they're Trotskyists. Oh no, no idea. Yeah, that sounds that sounds delightful though. Oh my gosh, because yeah, a lot of trot, <laughs> Trotskyists have a um, not the ones I know. But well, uh, there's, there's some qualities there of just being really um, <laughs> known for backstabbing slash uh, or just catty. It's like, oh, all these sure, other leftists sure. are not the good leftists. Yeah. It's all leftists, though? Well, yeah. Yeah, of course. It's all the Spider-Man po- make finger-pointing meme, you know. Yeah. Uh, we're all pointing a finger at each That's other. All the leftists. But really, all you have to do is instead of the finger pointing being like, I accuse you of not being a good leftist, it has to be a, I support what you're doing. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I may not fight the same fight you fight, but I appreciate you fighting the fight so that I can be free to fight mine. Yes. <laughs> Everyone has their battles, Plato. If we take this concept a step further, we see that it's now not too difficult to say that you can create an entire organizational structure on the blockchain, which are not owned by a single person or entity. Or in socialist speak, it creates an avenue to encode orgs where workers own the means of production, removing any type but mostly capitalist middlemen. So the DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Org, are usually one or a collection of smart contracts on a blockchain network that interact with each other to represent an org. That org could be a company, a co-op, a political party, a social fund, or just a group of friends. There really is no clear limit to the type of P2P collaboration that could be made using a Turing-complete language. What makes DAOs especially special, especially... (laughs) For socialists, that's not that's that's writing that needs an overwrite. A special, what makes DAO special, especially for socialists, is that we can create organization with encoded leftist principles based on inclusion and democracy. Because apparently, you know, we we kind of want that. Uh, a lot of people say they want it, inclusion and democracy. Wink, wink. Uh, of course, Democrats, um, <laughs> liberals, all the virtue signals. Yes. Yeah. Socialist DAO example, platform co-ops. Cooperatives are businesses where the means of production for the business are owned by the workers. If we haven't covered this before, we have. They are considered a part of the social economy and should be seen as laboratories of democracy, or mini-socialism in practice. Co-ops have a 
wide array of governance structures that elucidate the lack of democracy in normal corporate workspaces. And that includes the small businesses too, okay, because those are many dictatorships. But besides being cool for nerds into alternative economic structures like ourselves, they're also more resilient during economic downturns, good at building community wealth, and most of them follow the International Co-op Alliance's seven principles. Platform cooperatives are cooperatives that are facilitated over the Internet. If you, yeah, yeah. The same way that Airbnb, Uber, Deliveroo, and Facebook are platforms. Except their means of production are owned by the proletarians or the, anyone working there and collectively decide what to do with the resources instead of Uncle, Uncle Zuck, you know. Platform co-ops are not easy to scale. It's difficult to grow in size and respect the governance structures at the same time. As a worker-owner in a platform co-op located at another place in the world, you also need to trust that the one with access to the money is also going through with what has been democratically decided. Which has kind of always been an open question in political science of like, how do we... I mean, this is basically what political corruption is. It's we as a polity have agreed that you're going to do or manage X, you know, public project. How do you hold them accountable to that? With an election? By, uh, with a accountability process, which, you know, can be dragged on for years or just, well, as you could see with, say, Trump's impeachment, just say you're going to do it, perform that you're going to do it, and not do it. Applications built on top of blockchain can easily facilitate democratic governance structures. In most public blockchain networks, there is no ingrained hierarchy. Hello, anarchists. Making it a good platform for creating demtech, fancy word for technology that improves democracy. This makes it so that if the majority of members vote to pay themselves a living wage, this would be automatically enacted through the code and made it, because code is God, um, and made into reality, but mostly because code is binary. It either does it or it doesn't. It doesn't embezzle. It doesn't say it can do it and then not do it. It either does it or doesn't, right? There is no try. This would be automatically enacted through code and made into reality through the blockchain network within the parameters of the co-op. Parameters like, is there enough money? Is there enough surplus to pay a living wage? Because that we do care about that, you know? So here's an example of a ride-sharing platform co-op in which all drivers collectively own it. All drivers can vote digitally on what to do with profits. Do not need to rely on a state-backed financial system. And wages are not dictated by an authoritarian executive class, but through their mm. own decision-making. One issue for cooperative governance is participation. Sometimes it's difficult for all members to take part in a process and vote on everything because of other commitments. Getting even a 10-person group to meet once a week is pretty difficult. Though we're kind of doing it here at the station. Zoom has made it immensely easier when it comes to holding in-person meetings, though, of course, they are preferred. There's still a matter of, because most of our political orgs, they're spaced out over counties. You know, it's hard, mm. it's difficult to pick a physical place to meet where everyone can just get there quick um, or get there easily or get there at all. Some, like, we've, we've kind of experimented with people calling in, but it's not the same. You know, with Zoom, at mm. least everyone's calling in. Everybody's using cameras. So everyone's on a level playing field that way. So Zoom has been kind of good on having the regular meetings with people who are 
not in the same city. Interesting. But it does kind of, it's like, is this really the future of activism? Anyway. <laughs> um, one Just issue. Just all online. Just all parasocial relationships, or yeah, yeah, yes, it all becomes parasocial at the end of the day, or you know, somewhat, <laughs> unless you know, un- unless you're just talking about doing the physical projects. I mean, we have a physical sure. radio station here that I'm using with equipment yeah. and stuff, right? And we can discuss all the the fundraising, all that digitally, but um, we're all kind of using the space separately, almost like goat. You know, like, you know, we don't see each other. There's, there's, there isn't that cross germination of an ecosystem right an ecosystem comes from its serendipity the fact that things interact in sometimes random or unplanned ways that's what makes cities interesting that like that's what make art well that's interesting so do you guys do either of you actually engage in a lot of either mutual aid or direct action uh personally outside from the commentating and all that kind of stuff well i did before the pandemic i was um Right. I coordinated the serving at Food Not Bombs chapter, and I'm still kind of – I don't have a full foot in, but, of course, I use the service now. I, I simply, you know, I mm. go to just see my other anarchist friends or, or whatever. Uh, or, or, sure. Or yeah. those that are involved with Food Not Bombs. Um, and, not, yeah, sure. I'm going to be story. perfectly honest. I have not participated in real mutual aid. I didn't really know about any of this stuff before the pandemic hit. And so that the this whole coronavirus has been a real radicalizing event for me. And once oh, I'm sure. able to but, get out there and do the mutual aid, I look forward to. Absolutely, yeah. but but Michael, even as somebody who does proliferate information and commentary, that is its own form of praxis, right? And as we all know, I would, I would hope perfect. so. Yeah, I think so. Of course, yeah. I've I've done the direct action thing as well. Like if, for me, it was like you know, Trump was the catalyzing political action um, impetus for me, and that's that's what animated me in that way. But I, but I also would not want to impugn like you know the efforts of people to disseminate actionable information, which is kind of seems like that's that's the lane you're currently occupying, Michael. Yeah. So I'll repeat a um, metaphor uh, spoken at. It was a. Lecture about how, um, so not social media, but community media supports social movements, community movements. Mm. And it was the metaphor of using the D and D party. You have roles. You have, we have sections of our movement need to be doing specific things. And if one of those things is missing, the party is weaker as a whole. So you have sure. the tank. Yeah. You need someone on the front line, someone doing the direct action. You have, the cleric who's healing the person cook doing food not bombs the food the the health care i'm the bard aren't i we're the bard yeah these anyone doing these are all dmd races by the way yes classes (laughs) different classes and right so yes the bard creates buffs they they improve the stats of all the other players by sure, informing, sure. by by sharing information and analysis and input and perspectives. I feel um, like yeah. it's also about recruitment and trying to disseminate disseminate the information to get others to say, "Hey, you should join our party too. You should uh, yeah. join our fight." And that's kind of correct. That's that's the inception. That's that's the power that's of persuasion. So, yeah. Yes, the spellcaster yeah, is like say our political power party. The thief is the white hat hacker. 
uh, who's doxing the Nazis and and uh, and, and others and other counterfuge, finding out who the cops are, trying to infiltrate. If a, if a movement or an organization is missing these, or or the organization is not working with other orgs that are doing these roles, mm. they're going to yeah. fall on their face. And that yeah. includes the class that does outreach. Now, sometimes it feels like we're like doing this media does outreach, but as consumption, it kind of isn't. It's just creating another fandom. Yeah. Canvassing, mm-hmm. I just cannot wait to do canvassing again. It's what I've been itching to do. I did a little bit of it. It's fun. Right. Yeah, I love it. Not many people <laughs> find it fun, but I find it as a necessity of like this is how we do in fact reach people that aren't reachable via podcasting sure. or Twitch streaming. I mean, it's it's still very limited. Yeah. And they tend those conversations tend to evolve in a much more productive, constructive ways than like, you know, Facebook comment threads, which are all just Oh, like, definitely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, do like, I, I do not believe in social media. I do not believe yeah. I do not believe in social media. I don't I, I, I had a, I was skeptical of it over the last, you know, mm. since its inception fifteen years ago. And now mm. I just like and especially over the last four, six years, it's just like there's the tool aspect as communication device, but like sure. because of the algorithm and the way it's set up via Facebook's criteria, right? Yeah. I have to post something controversial. Like this is my post. I have mixed feelings about not confronting the neo-Nazis uh, uh, yeah, this week. I got so much interaction with people in my friend group um, of various types and it gets people in various uh, social circles interacting with each other, and then there's friction mm. there. You know, the black activists versus the the ones that are more insider versus the ones that are on the margins. Yeah, and and I was so also acknowledging the consensus of, of the good reasons why we shouldn't engage with it at all, right? Especially that yeah. BLM was saying don't. I wasn't disputing this, right? But there there was a number of comments that were kind of like both stating like white people need to stay in their lane or we are the ones that need to be on the front line so that black people are not. So yeah. it's like, so there's an argument about that, but like at the same time, like, so what my point is there's so much engagement around that. And then there was some value, but part of the discourse was making me feel bad because there was one guy that I don't particularly like, but I'm still Facebook connected to. And right. Um, and other comments where like a kind of a, you know, we are, we're organized in our community, you organize in yours. And I'm looking at this discourse, and I'm like, what is my community? I thought this was my community. I thought you guys were my community. And and so I get real so like... What you're, what you're saying is, yeah. is it amplifies the tribalism that's that's kind of inherent in a lot of these, uh, in a lot of these groups. Maybe, yes. That's, Maybe, that's yeah. a possibility. Mm. And... Because it's otherwise like community, it also goes to my concerns of like community being used very loosely. What is meant by community? Sometimes it's used in a capacity meaning the political entity, the city, right? You're sure. hurting, like when, when, it, when, oh yeah, when, uh, when, when some black leaders say these kids in Minneapolis are burning and harming their community, right? When, mm. when the things they're setting fire to are corporate businesses or small businesses that are again owned by like pawn shops, they're not owned by nice, great people. They're not community leaders or, or 
an apartment block that's not finished. You know, it's like, is that their community? And if the community means the city at large, this is a city that offers no future to them. This is a community that tells people to F off. And this and then that like why? How is how is that a community? What is how are you defining community? I could rant about this for a while and, and without any con- construction to it. But mm. um but it's 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 overused a lot when when like when politicians talk of the community, whether it's the black community, basically it's a, it's actually right. like you know how it's like oh, we we want to support the rhetoric that no group is a monolith, right? We're right. diverse, well, let's just, let's, we're a mosaic, but then it's like there's the X community, and then people use just, it. Oh, yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, it's just it's just basically a flaccid platitude, right? <laughs> just kind of kind of like words like unity or like bipartisanship, where it kind of yeah, they're, they're, you're supposed to derive some kind of like intrinsic value just from like the unifying nature of that word or whatever. But they usually the people who like you know trot out words like community they don't really have any kind of intimate understanding or intimate relationship with the community that they're supposed to be servicing. They just, they just utilize that verbiage because it creates that sense of, of solidarity and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's just kind of like but a performative a version of it, yeah. but a performative yeah, version of it. Exactly. So like if I brought a point that I thought of on the way here, in fact, yeah, of, cause I was trying to, you know, outline this rant. In fact, that you mm. have, we've had decades of, you know, let's say uh, the 60s and 70s, especially the 70s, it broke communities, right? Without the wealth created by well-paying blue-collar jobs or the, the growth of the economy during the New Deal era, communities mm. were destroyed. Neoliberalism destroys communities and or, or yeah. a sense of community, whatever you want to phrase it. Decades have been spent now, you know, our lifetimes, on just task one, rebuilding community. Let alone union organizing or building mini socialisms, that's all on the margins. Just the the most sure. the more mainstream goal is just rebuilding communities. All of the orgs yeah. around here and all of it in my town are more geared towards that than any radical politics. In fact, politics are taken out of it. But that's kind of where right. okay, you've organized the community again, right? With these big community events, we crowdfund cool stuff, stuff that makes life worth living. But then. Uh, and by community organizer, you can also include Obama in there. But then you stopped. You didn't make it political. You didn't organize the community into unions or business ownership class sure. or whatever. Yeah. It just it was still in the neoliberal mode of what is the community for? It was for right. economic growth purposes. I mean, that was the main like, give us this grant. We'll because grants are given out by foundations that are donated by the upper class and they it's it, i mean the purpose is to continue the system right so a lot of nonprofits just have to make the case and they do and that's like their mission is just to keep neoliberalism going that like we'll right. build community so that people are not rioting just happy enough just so that there's enough See, but, events that are, can make small businesses why... money this is why we need a neo neoliberalism, right? In the same way that we need super capitalism, <laughs> we need <laughs> we well, need to commandeer the, the the verbiage to make it palatable to to, to radicalize people with. To bring I'm, it back I'm around the pala- right to bring it back around to the Palladium uh, site, uh-huh. there that they are attempting to create a neo neoliberalism. 
Let me just fin- let me just finish the last paragraph. Uh, is it the last? No, it actually sure. isn't. Let's finish this. There's one more thing we can get to in five minutes. Socialist DAO example activist organization. So he gave one for a you know a car ownership, a car sharing co-op, or a driver one. Another example for those who prefer political initiatives could uh, could be a fund for a political organization whose ownership lies with all of its members. You know, instead of relying on some central committee. Smart contracts could allow so that each member had a say in the governance of the funds being held in cryptocurrency. This type of digital organizational structure lays out a way for organizations to scale, which is always missing, while also upholding democratic norms, which is something that couldn't be done last century. That's why this, like, um, the fight between, you know, Stalin and Trotsky or the good socialists versus the bad socialists or liberals Mm. is that, like, it had to be bureaucratic. The bureaucracy couldn't be avoided to do big stuff. But maybe mm, with yeah. new technology, it can give us new tools, like fire creates new opportunities to do it the way we actually intended to. This type of digital organizational structure lays out a way for organizations to scale while upholding democratic norms. On top of that, a fascist government wouldn't be able to cut off a left-wing group's access to capital. Similar to how mm. WikiLeaks was able to continue receiving donations in Bitcoin even after the U.S. government pressured payment processors to block payments to them, and then it gives a little kind of uh, mix of a mix of a meme with a, kind of a DSA logo, like it's a DSA vote, but it's actually mm. a um, Scooby Doo. So you know, in uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so the the choices are Scooby, Shaggy, or Daphne. Who should be in charge of the Antifa milkshake budget? Uh, Shaggy votes ah. for himself. Daphne votes for herself. Uh, Vil- uh, Vol- Volma? <laughs> Velma votes for Daphne. Scooby votes for Scooby. And Fred votes for Daphne. So Daphne has three votes. And thus, now <laughs> she has access to the AM budget. What I want to make clear is that blockchain is probably not going to be the thing that brings about revolution to create fully automated luxury gay space communism. However... Depending on how we use it, it can help with the left short-term goal of undermining capitalist institutions, because that's kind of really what it's about at this stage, while also growing a more equitable mode of production. Because everyone wants to skip the step three, or even step two, which is take state power with AOC as president. God, the people post about AOC like, oh, eight more years and she can be elected president. Jesus Christ. That concludes the last part of this series. However, this is not the end. In fact, it's just the beginning. He has other articles about like how cryptocurrencies have kind of gone bad, and mostly because they're not being produced or led by leftists. If they were, they wouldn't crash and burn into, you know, commodity trading, traded stuff. The last thing from Palladium that I wanted to hit right now, I, I summarized it actually on one of our Twitch streams, but I'll summarize it even further down. Uh, to bring it back around is an observation that neoliberalism, in order to kind of keep profitability going after 1971 to 75, was to create the small business ownership class. You know, they don't really have a good name, but they're all of the small business owners that are created via, uh, that or could be created by deregulation, right? So this atomized the labor force, you know, without bigger firms, 
it's harder to unionize. And it also creates all of these small businesses that are, in fact, little fiefdoms. And it atomizes the workforce. It makes everybody a contract laborer of some type. And this, it's this group of small business owners that are primarily the Trump base. Because, and, it's, and this is actually what's important. Like, it, you can look at things as culture war, right? Uh, and especially, like, it, 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 uh, it's a tendency to just view it as, like, is this about economics or is this about racism? Well, of course, they're racially motivated, right? But really, but what is the fight over? The fight is this class of small business owners, which if you have paid attention to mainstream politics, they are ad nauseum the praised, right? They're the center of, like, they're the backbone of our economy. Uh, when, when Democrats talk of economic democracy, they talk of small businesses. They don't talk of co-ops. They don't talk of unions. They talk of small business ownership and, um, and entrepreneurship, right? And the, so these entrepreneurs, they're the most important, and they're not always highly educated. In fact, they're the ones that mm. are hiring the highly educated or right. the highly educated go to larger firms, uh, but not smaller ones. The Goliath corporations or conglomerates used to be the base of the U.S. economy until the 70s or the 80s, until the Reagan Revolution, so to speak. And this class is basically, they have all of this, they have, they're the new rich, and they're very low culture, right? Their culture is that which is found at the mall. It's typified, like Chopper Trap House makes tons of jokes about this. They, they, they've acknowledged this over the last three years, so... I'm not really saying anything they haven't, but I'm saying it in a more nerdy way and not a dirtbag way. That mm. you have all of these, you know, small business owners that are in fact not innovating because they don't really have the means to do so, uh, or they innovate through the deregulation, right, by cheating people in new ways. Uh, but they're the they're the ownership, uh, they're the car dealership owners. They're the owners of like the my pillow guy, right? You know. These, the, the Goya, the, the domestic capitalists. And they're the ones that, they don't own big yachts, but they do own boats, right? They don't own palatial mansions uh, and estates, but they do own McMansions, right? So they're not wealthy, but they are rich, right? And so they have their piece of the surplus from like the growth of our economy, right? But they're not in charge of it. They actually don't have political power, and they definitely don't have any cultural power. So they have this money, and they're told that they are entitled to being the saviors of the American economy. They're the base of profitability in America. They don't actually have political power. And Trump and the tantrum being thrown is them saying, I want political power. I want to see at the table. Why doesn't people like me? Why don't I have, like, why isn't P.F. Chang's the Chinese food, you know? <laughs> or um, uh, they use um, uh, the Cheesecake Factory. You know, the, the I mean, Trump is like, you know, it's fake class, right? You know, it's just, just gold tint things. And, and it's like Cheesecake Factory is fake fine dining. P.F. Chang's is fake uh, Chinese food. McMansion is a fake estate. Uh, and a yes. little boat is a fake yacht, you know, um, what a mil- what a billionaire has. 
But and speaking uh, of mansions, by the way, yeah. as far as like the next four years of political discourse are concerned, what poses a bigger threat to society? Big mansions or Joe mansions? Ah, very good question. <laughs> so the, the neo-libs here, the libs here are kind of like they, they, there needs to be a new American settlement. They don't say new deal, but just settlement. <laughs> and so, uh, institutionalist economists, you know, so, so I'm not going to read any of their stuff here, but you know, they, they talk of dead dollar hegemony and other stuff. Like what was the, you know, elitists need to like just retain. It's all about re- elites, political elites retaining their power because they're the ones holding off these, you know, almost illiterate, uh, small business owners. Let's see. They were last, um, but the last paragraph is uh, liberal platitudes about the inherent superiority of our economic political system serve to lull us into complacency to recover and change our fate. We must set out to change our economic system. If both American monopoly capital and the working class fail in this historical contingency, notice they put those two like as if they're like co-equal partners, <laughs> the end result will be that American capitalism and the utopian hopes of its radicals that would be us, I guess, are consigned to the dustbin of history. This paragraph kind of blows my mind in some ways where it's just like it's pressing that our radicalism is still dependent on the American empire and all that and capitalism, right? That our radicalism is just kind of an outgrowth from it. It's the release valve. It's like we're core, we are the agents of course correction. All the elites have to do is uh, co-opt us, basically. That's their mm. mission. Right. Not that we have a better way of doing things, but we have a point in that the establishment has, you know, gone too far. We need to not pull back, but do we need to incorporate some of these other voices? Not that they need to be in charge. Of course, power is always ours. Oh, and also that the tone of the article is all about saving American dynamism. What is that? Um, or American innovation, and, and it basically kind of boils down to exceptionalism, like America is important and we have to stay important because we're important. Circular <clears throat> logic is not just for an evangelical. So, yeah, um, any thoughts? Additional thoughts? No, not really. For me, like I said before, that's kind of a new vanguard of uh of information and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, Michael, did you, did you have any thoughts in particular? Or? I found it pretty fascinating. I thought it was... Well, it was interesting. I didn't know, like, I didn't know much about cryptocurrencies before and any of this kind of stuff. So it's very interesting to gain more perspective and to learn new things and how things that I didn't think about could fit into uh, leftist ideas. Mm. Yeah, when when a good when a good argument is made, uh, or I find a good argument, it's like I want to do it immediately. It's like, oh, geez, I want to start this project. Like, we we do need right. to fund all this stuff. We do need like this is what a lot of the, the community projects that I want to do are missing, uh, because the community garden has to seek a grant or this radio station. We have a grant from MVP, a big insurance comp, uh, health insurance company. Mm-hmm. They're not like well, in in some facets they're monsters. In some facets they have a fund and they gave us uh, money to improve our tech. But if we have, we need our own fund to do that. That way we can actually, you know, we're not putting, you know, corporate advertisements as underwriters. We shouldn't have to do that. Mm. But I'm surrounded by community activists who are stuck in that mode because, well, you can't fight for what you don't know about. So 
this show is definitely about sharing what people usually don't know about, uh, even mm. other hardcore leftists. Right. Yeah. And uh, cause so it's about filling a void because so much, so many topics just get kind of regurgitated. Yeah. Even 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 <laughs> revolutionary left, even revolutionary left radio or uh, seriously wrong, like they're covering topics that are out there already almost um right. or they're or they're discussing them further they're not bringing in the new stuff or the stuff that's really actually marginal as far as like what are people really doing on the ground community projects that could be tried otherwise it, you sure. just yeah you just get into like we just start co-ops and then it's like well how do we start a co-op we need a bank loan like from you know Right. And then before you know it, they're requiring you to have an undemocratic decision-making process. Sure. So, my profound thanks for listening, which is a skill as important as talking. So I plan to listen to any constructive feedback. We do. Uh, ideas for the show, stories, topics you'd like to hear discussed. You send us via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and also on Mastodon. Um, this program is made as a part of independent community radio, so support us materially, along with others, uh, donations and membership to this station, WCAALP at grandarts.org. Or support us with your time, more important, more valuable, by telling others you believe will be interested about the show. Like, engage with our uh, content. It's always um, also boosts my confidence. This episode and the last 10 are broadcast on most po- podcasting apps including Spotify, but a full archive of the podcast, along with notes and info about ourselves, is found at threelefts.news, http slash slash colon threelefts.news. Of course, the most important thing is to put the ideas, thinking, and projects talked about here in practice yourself. So be well, keep it rad, and keep waving the flags of the three lefts. Also, I haven't written this in yet, Check us out on Twitch, Homegrown Hangout, Three Left Show, also on Twitch. I don't. Things come check us out. 